Planet Water Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Water With. You know, I'm the personal water sommelier Martin Riese and obviously I have Michael Marshall, my co-host with me. Hello Michael to Texas, how are you? Hello Martin, how are you? I think we're going to have another great show today and I think if you start a bottled water brand, you're very, very brave. But I think you're even a little bit more braver if you attempt to have a portfolio distribution. I think that's really, really difficult. So we had a couple of interesting conversations over the past couple of uh, weeks. And we have another uh, portfolio distributor here, a very brave person. Now, that sounds like very interesting to me. And I know it has to be a little tricky for me today for the listeners and for everybody else, because we already know when I'm saying, Michael, how are you? I'm talking to Michael in Texas. The tricky part is that we have a Michael today in the old world in Great Britain. So I will say, hello, Michael, to Great Britain, to the old world. How are you over there? Hello, Martin. Hello, Michael. Hello, hello. Everything is good? Busy, thank you. It's been a very busy period for us um, with COVID lockdown and the challenges that we've had and people's insatiable demand for hydration during this period. I think that's interesting. Obviously, it's terrible to say COVID helped you because I think it's a terrible pandemic and and this is uh, very, very sad things happening around the world. But obviously, uh, people need water and people are very eager to drink water. So tell me a little bit about like what changed in your business model over the last like six months. And first of all, what is actually your business model? I think that is even more interesting at the beginning. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, we have companies from around the world who buy from us because it's very convenient to buy a selection of products with a single point of collection. And uh, that cuts down on transportation costs. So even though it might be more cost-effective to buy from a producer directly and collect from their factory, and you might then have to have minimum order quantities, for example, which ties up your capital, and then you have to consolidate that onto a container, and then you import it to your final destination. Uh, in many instances, our uh, wholesale customers find that it's convenient to consolidate their shipments with the stock that we already hold. So it's one point of collection. And, you know, logistics is a large part of the cost of the water or soft drinks that lands on your table. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's one aspect of our business. Another aspect of our business is restaurants and hotels, uh, mainly in the UK. And for them, we provide uh, bottled water and soft drinks and a variety of requirements. You know, their, their interest is led by a perception of the benefits of a product, i.e. this product delivers charitable donations to the third world or uh, this product looks nice and it, it, it complements the decor in my restaurant or this product contains beneficial minerals that are valuable for my customer. So there's a spectrum of buying requirements there um, that we have to be sensitive towards and anticipate. And lastly, we have aquamore.com, and this is operated since 2009, 
and we deliver to people's homes around UK and Europe. Uh, and we generally sell by the case. So someone will buy a, a case of a product as it comes. And we either deliver that on our own vehicles in London um, and the surrounding areas, more or less, or with a third party courier. So we repackage it into air packages and we send it out via uh, someone like UPS. That, that's what we do. So that's what. And additionally, we, we're a resource for, um, you know, being a certified water sommelier, people approach us with various demands for, with questions, knowledge. Uh, those kind of associated conversations as well. So we are, we're a, a reference point as well. So really, really interesting. And I'm just being reminded, if I look behind you, how happy I am that Fine Waters sells a story and how easy stories travel and you don't need a warehouse for stories. So I'm, I'm very happy I'm in the story business. And it looks really impressive, the, the, the arrangement. It also shows people how, how difficult it is to become a portfolio distributor and that what is actually very heavy has a much lower value per weight. So it's a really, really challenging business. And I think you can tell us many stories about that. But what I wanted to ask you is, you are certified water sommelier and we have now more and more companies, distribution companies, brand becoming water sommeliers. So do you think that's really important that you not only sell the water, but also have the knowledge of the water and be able to communicate that properly? Ultimately, Michael, it depends on the question that's being asked. And, you know, you particularly are very skilled at communicating that message and the difference to people between a reprocessed product that is safe to drink for hydration that, and a highly regulated product that fulfills minerals via the medium of, a, of H2O. And there's a big difference there, and the EU knows it, and I think people in continental Europe know it because of their culture, but people in maybe the English-speaking countries don't necessarily know that or appreciate it as part of a culture of wellness. So um, it's, it's something I feel we have barely even scratched the surface of. And just to be a disruptor, I don't like the association with the title Water Sommelier, even though I have the accreditation, because I feel as though it implies that we try and replicate or piggyback off the value of the wine industry when actually it's a much more nuanced and different uh, acquisition of knowledge uh, and texture recognition than wine is. Wine is a completely different affair. And so I think that makes people even more wary of the message that may have to be delivered. I like that you're saying this, Michael, because I had a big problem in the beginning in 2005, when I started that whole concept in Germany with my water menu at the restaurant first floor, the Hotel Palace, um, I was not considering myself a water sommelier. I said to myself, yeah, I'm, I'm a thirsty guy, I'm, I like, I'm a person, a water expert, whatever you want to call it. But then I realized the guest had a problem to understand what I'm doing. 
And that was the tricky part. So they, the media started actually the wording water sommelier. They called me water sommelier at one point in Germany. But then I realized, because when I said, no, I'm more like a water expert, they thought I was working for the Department of Water and Power. And they didn't have the relation to, to the restaurant business. And now these days, um, I realized it's just easy and I understand you and I totally get your point. And I'm the person as well to say, no, they are wine sommeliers and they're like highly professional, obviously, in the business of wine. Um, yes, it sounds crazy to have suddenly a mustard sommelier, a water sommelier, uh, uh, a wheat sommelier, what we have in West Hollywood as well. So they're using the term sommelier for other things now. But I think language is evolving. And I think that might be my tag, take on it now because now I can't rebrand myself. I am a water sommelier and this is like worldwide known now the term water sommelier. Even Wikipedia has this name now as oh, there are other sommeliers than wine sommeliers. So I don't want to start the, the idea of, oh, let's rebrand and let's, let's have something completely new as a hydro whatever expert or whatever you want to call him. Because I think that people understand when you're saying the word sommelier, the new generations don't think about just wine anymore. It's more about, oh, it's a person who has a profound knowledge about something. That is more like the new term for sommelier. Yes, it rooted, obviously and clearly, into the wine business, but I think involved now over the last 20 years more like into a term of there's a person who knows a lot about one particular stuff. And obviously for us, we, don't, we have the attachment of always water in front of us. So we're not a bottled water sommelier. We're a water sommelier. That's always the thing as well. That's the reason I have in my water menus as well, LA tap water or West Hollywood water in there as well, because I believe that whoever drinks water in my restaurant should look at the water menu. And they don't need to buy and purchase bottled water. They might be one to have the water for free from the tap. And I don't have any issues with that, actually. I'm the last person who will <coughs> say, oh, my God, you cannot drink tap water. When somebody asks me, hey, Martin, I like to have my tap with ice and lemons, I'm more than happy to come with a bottle of filter tap, I'll pour it for you, I will put ice cubes in it, and whatever my guest wants. But I think that's like the idea of a sommelier. I don't know how you think about this, Michael, in Texas. You pour this up to their lap. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm thinking, I, I agree with, uh, with Michael in London, or with myself, so to speak, I agree with Michael. Um, for the longest time, I did not use the term water sommelier myself, and I actually didn't like it because it was too limiting. Absolutely agree with uh, Michael. And same thing happened to me with Martin. People didn't understand what I'm doing, and you get the label attached to you. And I was fighting it for a while, but after a while I said, you know, I'm, I give up. And I think it also has something good with it. Because the term sommelier has equity. People understand what we usually mean by it. And by attaching the word water in front of it, people have now an understanding. So I think it's less of a label as more of a description so people can figure out what we're doing and what we're trying to do. But let's see. You know, nothing is fixed. Let's see how this ends up in, in 10 years and how we call our profession in 10 years. My view is that sommelier sounds pretentious because it's a French word. And French words generally, they, they have an air of pretension about them. And I don't like that because it already 
creates a distance between the knowledge we've acquired and how accessible it is for someone else who wants to achieve that. And the second issue I have is that it, it has the word water. And it's not really telling people anything new other than it's wet, which doesn't tell people anything about what we aim to achieve, which is these are products of the earth. Water is a universal solvent. It absorbs minerals on its journey to the surface or not, depending on where the origin is. And it's then bottled. And then guess what? Those minerals have a textural impact on your palate and with training, actually not even with training, innately with, with guidance, you can recognize your innate recognitions of how the minerals affect your palate. So for example, for anyone watching this, maybe in the UK, someone will have a preference between Evian and Volvic. That's a very typical, uh, so really I've been thinking about this a lot. And the term I really want to develop for use in the UK, so I want to be the pioneer of it and um, litmus test the idea to see how innately it's recognized is the term aqua mineralogy and aqua mineralogist to describe this more unique category of approaching the experience of how minerals affect a water on the palate. That, for me, is the essence of what it's about. No, I agree with you, definitely. And again, like, I think it, it will be hard for, for people now to understand, like, first of all, the concept of, like, a water sommelier was completely mind-blowing for a lot of people and could not even understand the idea of, like, there are people out that thinking that water even has taste. Let's start even with that. So let's go even back on this round because I still have it here in America that a lot of people think like, come on, Martin, it's water, it's H2O. And we saw it on the last appearance, what I did on Netflix, that people suddenly realized, wait a minute, there is more into water than just H2O. They could not even believe this. And, and when, when I see like the famous actress Anna Kendrick saying like, you blew my mind, um, then you already know how less of knowledge is actually there to the most basic beverage we're engaging on a daily basis. And I think it's even more important because the more people we're training and the more people we have knowing about water and the more people is really starting to rethink a little bit water, I think the better it is for this planet because then we will start to think, oh my God, water is way more important than we might be thinking. We should not run out of water. Water is a human right, obviously. That's what I'm strongly believe. Um, water, uh, the water rights should not be privatized, especially not in, in, in undeveloped countries, that suddenly water companies can make tons of money with that um, by selling their water to their own citizens. So there's a lot of, like I think, the dark side of water. And the more people know knowledge, because we all know knowledge is wisdom and, and wisdom is power, the better it is for this planet and the better it is in general for the people. So I think I agree mostly. I, I find it funny that uh, you, you mentioned that uh, the word sommelier in French is a little bit pretentious. But of course, you know, if you want to call it aqua, it's Latin. And some people could say, you know, also, you know, going back to Latin and talking in Latin is 
is a little bit portentous. But I, I, I really get your point. What I'm trying to say, and I also like that you say this distance. You mentioned the word distance. And if you look at both Martin and myself and the Find Water Academy, the thing we really, you know, like to train our, our candidates is there should not be a distance. We should be open. This should be fun. This should be engaging. I think so we want to move away from the wine sommeliers of the 80s. I'm old enough to remember those people that were very snobby. They always let you know that you didn't know enough of the wine, that he knew much more about it. And sometimes they always try to embarrass you in front of the group you were. So talking to the wine sommelier was something most people didn't look forward to. And I hope Martin and I, what we're trying to do with our candidates is to make this much, much more open. So my approach would be maybe not to rebrand the term water sommelier, leave it, but give it a new meaning. Moving, almost rebranded by not changing the name, but changing what people experience when they heard the, the when they listen to the word water sommelier and what they see in the restaurant, how water sommelier behaves. And I think Martin knows this better, but also if you talk to wine sommeliers nowadays, nowadays, they're much, much more different. They're much more open. They're much more engaging. So right now, I would not be embarrassed and stand next to a wine sommelier because I know they have the same attitude as, as, as we have. So that's why I still like the word, but I think this openness, this overcoming the distance is very important. I think there's also um, an issue of semantics as well. So if you'll join me, if you'll or entertain me for a slightly deeper dive into this idea of uh, water sommelier distance how impenetrable the concept is to people it struck me as well that there's no language for water there's no dedicated language to articulate the unique effects that a water has on a palate and when i started aquamore um, with uh, my brother in 2007 i came across a book called fine waters by uh, a person that looks remarkably like michael masher and uh, in fact, it was by Michael Masher. And in that book, he talked about mouthfeel. And no one had ever spoken about this before. I'd never recognized it. And it really opened my eyes to the concept of a water actually is different to a wine because taste is a misnomer. Taste is something that some waters have, you know, very highly saline waters that obviously smack you in the face you know martin gave uh the people on netflix a glass of uh, the naturally carbonated water from catalonia called vichy catalan and that punched them in the face didn't it martin oh yeah right now not all water has a taste and that is really what throws people off so you have to work backwards from that and understand that actually the mineral possessed water with texture and there's no language to describe the texture given to water on the palate. And I attended a um, seminar at the University of Oxford. I was invited by a gentleman called Professor uh, Charles Spence, and he worked with a famous UK-based chef called Heston Blumenthal, who used to run, or, or he, who runs a uh, three Michelin star restaurant called The Fat Duck. And he is a pioneer of... Um, um, was gas, uh, uh, molecular gastronomy in the Ferran Adria style of, uh, of, 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 of cuisine. And he helped him develop concepts for that. 
And I told him many years ago, I was working on a taste association of water and wine called Minerals and Terroir. The initial question was, does the water affect the experience of, of wine? And as we tasted more and more, we actually realized there was a whole complex range of how a mineral, how a mineral water affected the experience of wine on the palate. And yet the wine world was very resistant to this. They didn't understand. They didn't want to know. They didn't want to engage with it. They were, they were, in fact, a wine sommelier from, uh, from Chester in the UK even wrote a piece in Imbibe magazine criticizing what we were doing and associating the pursuit of trying to understand more about the relationship of water with wine with water shortages in the third world. And he and his his pseudonym was or his nom de plume was Ivo Water Shortage. He said he wrote it under this pen name, um, and of course I know who it was. But um, but you know that sums up the sort of resistance to it. But people dismissed it, and I suppose that also painted my attitudes towards I don't want to be replicating what sommeliers do because sommeliers are also very and I want water to be a very unique thing. Hence the concept of aqua mineralogy. But I digress a little bit. My point about going to this seminar with Professor Charles Spence, he invited a variety of people to present that he'd worked with. And one of them was a chef that ran an experimental restaurant in London. And he had two dishes. And one of them he put um, round, globular, gelatinous um, pieces on a plate. And the other one he put uh, angular, crispy, tactile uh, things on a plate and he associated them and i'm going to try this i've never used um, zoom before so i apologize to the viewers if i get this wrong uh, oh oh you haven't got screen sharing okay right so there is a concept a psychological concept called booba and kiki so if anyone wants to google this while they're watching this uh call it's b-o-u-b-a and k-i-k-i and they are two shapes one is globular and soft, like a fried egg, and the other one is crisp, crisp, angled, and looks very jagged. And he asked people to associate what they tasted with the uh, shapes and 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 the sounds. And it struck me like a eureka moment that I am looking at Evian and Volvic here. This is the difference. Whereas previously I had been using, I'd been creating water menus and telling the sommeliers there to put like Evian, like Volvic. So any water that is bicarbonate lead and has a very viscous, milky, thick texture on the palate, like Evian. Anything that is uh, cool when it first, first hits your tongue and cool when then you first swallow it and it's refreshing and it feels like you've just drunk from a mountain spring or like you've just played a game of tennis and you are really hitting the spot like Volvic. But that's the only words I had because there's no suitable words in the English language or any language that I know to describe it. And I say that because of this um, water sommelier certification course that I did at the Humans Institute in um, uh, Graf Elfing near Munich. There was quite a wide range of nationalities and they spoke uh, Mandarin, they spoke um, uh, English, European languages, and none of them had a, water to describe, a word to describe a different textures. So that's why I have a, a fair idea that a suitable language doesn't exist. So I, I, I immediately recognize that one of them, and I'll leave it to the viewer 
to determine and then you can put the um the comments the, the, if you don't mind they can put their thoughts in the comments they can taste evian and tell me is it booba and which shape is booba and or is it kiki and which shape is kiki and takes taste volvic and tell me which one you think is kiki in the shape it's a triangulation and which one is uh uh booba or kiki i've got myself confused now and you know which is which and, and if, if you don't have Evian and Volvic, try it with another water, even something like Vichy Catalan, and try and ignore the carbonation and feel the viscosity or the effect and tell me which is which. So recognizing this made me think that now there is a path that's opened up to me as an aqua mineralogist to develop a semantic concept to introduce to the world to be able to identify what a water feels like on my palate. And for me, a water can be booba and a water can be kiki. There's also one other one, which is the, the effect magnesium has on, a, on your palate, which is this tactile elasticity like vitel or hepa. And, you know, you put your tongue to the tip of your mouth and then you can feel the water being squeezed and there's resistance. So, so there's a third one. But... I wish to pursue this concept alongside my philosophy, if you like, of aqua mineralogy. I wish to pursue the concept of a language that helps people communicate their ideas, Martin. So people say to you, Martin, uh, I like booba waters or mm -hmm. I like kiki water. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh, well, that's because booba has, is characterized by calcium and by carbonates, and it feels like or kiki is, is, is characterized by whatever. I'm trying not to give the game away to your uh, uh, audience so that they, 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 they have their own view on this. But it's without, an, without a suitable language that people can validate their innate experiences, there'll always be doubt and fragmented communications and, oh, how can I tell a water's different? How do I describe the taste? How can I... Yet people go for the same brands. I really like Fiji because... I really like Evian because, and they try and describe it to you, Martin, don't they? Mm -hmm. They try and describe it to Michael Masher. Oh, I don't know why I like it, but I think it's soapy, and I like this, I like that. And you're trying to interpret what they like and hear, and we need to give them a language. We need to give a language to water and create a terminology for water so people can link their experiences to an idea and a concept and then communicate it. And then when you communicate it, guess what? Hashtag booba, hashtag kiki. I can explain what I'm experiencing. It's you're freeing up the idea, and then that is when we'll be able to start the building blocks for. Okay, now let's create a map like you do in whiskey, and in whiskey you have smoky, floral, um, uh, whatever it is. You know, the space side, all different regions, and you map out the different whiskey on the charts, don't you? So if you like an Isla whiskey, then head this way. And if you like a Glenmorangie from, uh, from, head this way. So with water, it would be more like that. So I would say, well, look, if you like Vitel, then try Contrex and try Hepa, um, because there are even more of that. But if you like Vitel, but you also want something a bit more, head towards Tonon, head towards um, Solander Cabras, you know, and, and it's giving them this guide of, you know, what the experience is. That's how we make it accessible, guys. That's my view. I like, I like really what you're saying. And there are two, two points to it, I think. 
Uh, first of all, yes, I totally agree with you. The the terms of of to describe water is clearly not there yet. Um, that is clearly a fact that somehow in our all in our history in all the language of what you just said, somehow we missed to to bring words to the most fundamental beverage again on this planet. It's crazy that it is like that. That's uh, nobody came up with the idea. It's the same like a lot of people always say, oh my God, in Germany, we always have words for everything. So yes, we have a lot of words, but there's still some words missing. As an example, um, when I'm, um, there is no word for um, I'm not thirsty. There is no word in the German language for that. There is no word for it. Um, there is a word for I'm not hungry. It's called satt. I'm done. I'm full. I'm filled. Done. Huh? But when you're when you're not thirsty anymore, there is no word. What is almost crazy, in my opinion, maybe it has something to do because everybody's dehydrated all the time because we always need to be thirsty. Maybe that's a, the fact why we don't have a word for that. In my family, they created a word for that for many, many years ago. My father teach me that word, I would say, for 25 years ago already. It's called Stud. So in, in just in our family, we're using this term when we say, I had enough of water or I had enough of wine or whatever. I'm saying, I'm Stud. And everybody understands in our family. Nobody else on this planet will understand that. It's kind of like our secret little word, what we created. What I think it's hilarious and funny that we're talking now about this because this is exactly what you just said. We're missing words. We're missing something is happening there. There is a, there is a very, very famous movie and obviously book, uh, The Perfume, The Story of a Murderer by Patrick Süßkind. And this story is, and I'm addicted to this story because this story tells you about a person who's fascinating of, of, of smells and aromas around the world. And he has a very, very special nose. So he can detect way more aromas out of a product than everybody else. So he says, you don't smell this? And he's like, what do you need to smell? It's glass. No, but it smells like glass. And he smells the glass and everybody's like, are you crazy? Are you nuts? There is no smell to glass. But he's saying, no, there is clearly a smell to glass because I can smell it. So and I think that is the kind of like the concept, what you're saying as well. Not everybody can detect the differences in water right now. We were going to teach them. We we're going to train them. But the problem is because the majority of people and even the language doesn't have words for that. It's really problematic to even then describe the taste when we don't even have the proper language for it. So what you just said, like this is the same what happened in my restaurant all the time. Hey Martin, I like Fiji. Well, that's pretty much my question. What I have then as a sommelier when I'm going to the table and they're saying, okay Martin, you have 26 different mineral waters. What am I going to choose now? My first question is, okay, do you prefer still or sparkling? Like 50-50, like right there. I'm trying to narrow that thing down. And then they're saying, okay, I want a still water. You're saying, okay. Second, most questions always like, what are you drinking at home? Like, what are you, what are you drinking in a regular base? That I understand kind of like their taste profile. And from there, I'm trying then to help them out. Like, for example, they're saying, oh, I love Badois because I love tiny bubbles. They're saying, great, maybe Hilda. 
would be interesting because yes, it's lower in minerality, but it's a little bit sweeter on the palate, but has almost like the same effervescent effect. And then they're like, oh, that sounds interesting. What kind of wine you're drinking? Oh, I have this heavy red wine. It's like, perfect, don't do Badoa anyhow, because the morality will overpowering the tannins of the red wine. Do actually, Hilden, because this will actually weigh better. I would even go to a still water, but when they want sparkling, you cannot, you cannot force them to drink a still water because you think, as a sommelier, it's just better to do the still version. That's for me as well why I know you're maybe not in favor of so many sommeliers because that's the same project what I have. I hate to be teached by a sommelier in a restaurant. It's nice to get their wisdom, but I don't want to hear the sommelier telling me, you should not do that or you should not do that. So that's the wrong concept of sommeliers. And I think these kind of sommeliers are done. They're over. It doesn't exist anymore. Sometimes in small restaurants, you will still see them. They're completely full of shit, in my opinion. Sorry to, to use even that kind of language. Um, but you know, a good sommelier is a sommelier who helps the guests find their wine, what they like, and not what I personally like. That's the same for me as a water sommelier. My job is to find the water you enjoy and not what I enjoy. So therefore, all this question I'm getting on a daily basis so much, what is the best water on this planet? <laughs> it's like, I don't know your taste profile, so I can't talk about that right now. The best water on this planet is the water you like and you will drink a lot. That's for me the best water on this planet. Um, so that's, that's, that's a quite interesting concept there. The only thing I disagree with you on a very specific point is that I don't think people have to be trained. I think simply everyone's innate recognition has to be awakened so that they can recognize that what they what mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. the palate recognizes is legitimate. Because right now, you know, all right, fine, look, I'm drinking this water and I'm drinking and I'm drinking and I'm drinking. It tastes like water. Actually, it, this one, Whitehole, is the most, you know, is one of the most natural, clean, when people, when, like uh, Alan Ducasse chose this for his restaurant, for example, and Heston Blumenthal chose this for his restaurant. And the sommeliers, when they taste it, you know, they, um, they just say it tastes the most like water. Uh, it's calcium, so it's very soft and very, it's very nice. Okay, but in isolation, that's that, isn't it? And then I put this down and I go and I try another water. And what do I have to compare it against? It's wet, yeah? It's wet and it's doing a job. But if you have two next to each other and you say, look, notice the difference. And then they're like, oh, there is difference. But wow, whoop, whoop. You know, it's like those cartoons where they have empty bubbles, you know. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> you know, what do we fill those bubbles with? And because they're empty bubbles, they don't think anything of it, you see. Mm. And, the, and, the, and the, the, these, 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 uh, the mineral analysis here, doesn't mean anything to them because they don't know that calcium makes it soft and pillow-like, you know, on your tongue. Uh, and they won't know that bicarbonates will make it viscous and thick like milk. Uh, they won't know this. So that's why the very prima facie, but let's talk about an on-off light switch. You have two options, guys. There's Boober and Kiki and a water belongs to one or the other, generally speaking. And Find your preference. And then from there, let's start to build and accumulate. Put it out in the world and let the world populate it, you know? Because all we're trying to do is kickstart an idea with our curiosity. Um, but for me, I think for me, 
my unique perspective on it is that we're never going to tip the momentum so people can own it for themselves rather than look at Martin Riesler and wonder and say, wow, this guy, he's like that guy who can recognize the cars from the way the doors slam. You know, every, every car has a unique characteristics when you slam the doors. I could never do that. So moving Martin Risa from that guy who we can never replicate what he does because he's just got this, he's a super taster, right? Moving it from that to giving them ownership of it and saying, saying, you know what? Here is a word that you can put onto your recognition. And now you tell me what you prefer. Now you come into my world and recognize that I'm not mad. It's just that the world never gave us appropriate semantics to communicate this universal feeling, you see? That's it. I don't know whether the Romans had a word for it or not, because they obviously used to grade aqueducts according to the quality of the water, and they set up camps. I don't know whether they did, but between them and now, we've lost this finesse of appreciation. translation, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Michael, you're, you're right. Sorry, one, one more thing, Michael, and then I will go to Michael Texas. Um, when I said needs to be trained, that is exactly what I actually wanted to say. And you, you, you used the better word for it, what I used. It was more like training of showcase. It's not like training in like, oh, you need to go to the Fine Water Academy or you need to go to Dermans or to other schools. It was more for me like we need to showcase or give the people the idea of there's more to discover than just water. Well, that is like what I meant to, wanted to say, actually. It was the idea of, um, because still a lot of people getting even bashed sometimes on social media when they're saying, I think Fiji tastes like that, or I think Evior tastes like that. Because they're saying, you're crazy, you're stupid, water does not have taste. And I think that is the overcome first, and that is what I wanted to say with training, to educate the people in general, yes, water has taste. We can agree on that. So now, obviously, hey. yeah, yeah. And now we need to find the proper wordings. And I'm so with you there. And I think it's an incredible, amazing conversation. Um, now we need to find the right terms to actually describe water. Because that is even tricky for me sometimes. And a lot of people will be maybe surprised. They're saying, what? Martin Reese is saying he doesn't know how to describe his waters now? It is really sometimes for me tricky. and. Michael Mashar in Texas agrees definitely on this because when we're doing our water tastings, like all around the world, and I have like 100 to 120 different waters in a row in like two or three hours. Sometimes even for me, there's some, there some water spy there where I'm saying like, oh my God, it gives me not just a taste, it gives me like a memory back in my brain. Where I'm saying like, I feel right now when I'm drinking this water, I feel I'm on a beach on Zylt in 1997 when I met that girl. That came in my mind by one particular water. And this is crazy that you think about this, but I think that is the whole idea of water as well because water does not bring a, a, a taste to the table. It brings a whole momentum and a feeling and a story to the table. And that is for me, The fascinating part why I'm sometimes like looking at a glass, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, I'm finding the Holy Grail right there. And that is for me the most interesting part to be a water sommelier. For, I, I find it fascinating, Martin, that you invented a word for I'm not thirsty. 
I've, I've never heard it. I think it's the first time that this has been public and it's, it, it's fascinating for me. So I agree. The words to describe water is really difficult because we don't have so many data points. If you look at wine, you have many, many more data points and you can make much, much better association with words because of the more limited data points. I'm not saying they're not there, but they're limited compared to wine. When what's important for me is this, the description of water is one thing that it shouldn't be binary. It shouldn't be this or this. I think it needs to be organic and poetic. That would be for me very important for, for describing the, the experience. But the thing I noticed in, in our conversation here, and maybe for the first time, and it's a really great conversation, it's really good to talk with people and digging really, really deep into the subject. I just noticed that both of you are very, very interested in giving people what they want. What do you want? You like this, I give you another one I like. And I have to say, I hope it doesn't reflect on my personality, I was never interested in giving people what they want. I always wanted people to try something new, have a new experience. Let me share an experience with you, independent of whether you tell me or you like it or not. And I don't know how you feel, guys feel, but I think that's something for me that I'm appreciated by a sommelier. It doesn't, it doesn't. What kind of wine do you like? And I give you another one that's like the one you like. I say, surprise me, give me something new. If I go to a restaurant, I don't want the chef to cook the food I like. I want him to cook something new for me. And so that for me is a, maybe a slightly different approach, but it's not one or the other. I'm sure Martin does the same thing, giving people something new, especially with carbonation levels. If you like big bubbles, you know, use small bubbles. And, and finally, I want to mention the, this word flavor and taste. We're using this word and we use it almost interchangeable. And I want to, because we're digging so deep here, I want to make this maybe a little bit more, you know, empirical. I personally think flavor doesn't exist in the world. Flavor is a computation in our brain that's based on the input from taste, from our taste buds, from the mouth feel we get from the sensation in our mouth and the smell. So I think water has flavor, water has mouth feel, water has smell. And the computation that you make in your brain out of that, I would like to call flavor. So what does this mean? It also means that when people say to us, oh, you must have a very special time or very special taste, but because you taste the difference, I beg to disagree because I think on average, you know, every human has pretty much the same input from the, from the sensors being the mouthfeel, the taste and the, and the smell. It's the computation in your brain that makes the flavor and that distinguishes a sommelier from a non-sommelier or a layman that doesn't have the same computation. So I just wanted to clarify those two things. And I don't have a really a question for you, Michael, but I'm sure you have many, many things to say. Um, well, you know, I think that that, that personality traits that um, you're a slave to is... Uh, is the reason that you started all of this off in the first place because you were the first one really to probe that question and to try and consolidate a disparate body of knowledge so you know that's entirely your prerogative to to, to pursue that and uh, you know I think we'd be worse for not having that so you know just really thank you Michael for carrying on to to to, to interrogate but 
I don't necessarily think that um, the the pursuit of a semantic base to describe the texture of water is at the detriment of uh, experiment or the recognition of a spectrum of mineral effects and whatever it is. But I definitely think it's, um, it's uh, well, you know, hey, uh, you know, if you're my Germanic Austro pals, you know, Ludwig Wittgenstein, he had something called a hinge proposition. And the hinge proposition is a concept where an idea just changes your understanding fundamentally of the same subject matter. And for me, I think that for me, for me, Bubakiki is potentially a hinge proposition when it comes to people's engagements with water because it's the same thing, it's the same minerals, it's the same experience, but the association of what that experience is with a concept, with a term, will change people's, will awaken people's association and feeling of ownership of that subject matter overnight. For me, it has that very powerful um, potential. And uh, that's why I, I, I'm keen to explore this idea further and seed it and introduce it uh, universally because uh, it's something that almost all languages can get to grips with. Um, and if not, you know, perhaps we can assuage it or modify it or develop it. But I don't think that the introduction of a concept to categorize one set, even of, in a Venn diagram or not, of water texture experiences means that, look, guys, you're either Booba or you're Kiki. For me, it is the initial, initial introduction of an idea that switches people on to the recognition that, hey, I'm experiencing two different things. One is a sensation, and it's really quenching my thirst. They're two completely different types of water experience and somewhere in between. But without that, they have nothing. They just have Fiji, Martin, please, or... Uh, Give me whatever you got, Michael, and wow, something zany's going on, but I've forgotten about it. You see, so but with a with a with a semantic concept, with a semantic term, they can take that feeling away, and they can associate the words with the shape, with the set, with the feeling, and they can recognize it. And by recognizing it, you can repeat it, and by repeating it, you can communicate it, and by communicating it you can spread the idea and take ownership of it. So really that's my, I think, I think we've got to try and pursue this if we're serious about trying to get people to wake up to the fact that waters are inextricably linked to minerals and minerals are detectable on our palates and we can detect them. Everyone, everyone can detect them. Martin, yeah. everyone Definitely. can. I think this is, and this is the key concept of that. Um, I strongly believe that everybody has a taste and everybody can detect the taste differences in water. Obviously, in my like little like media things, what I'm doing all the time, I'm trying to fight, obviously, water. What you earlier said, Michael, punch you in the face. I need to do that, that people understand right away what's going on. Because I just have a very small limit chance to... 
I don't want to even say convince people, but to just showcase and to prove that water can be completely crazy in taste. Yeah? And then that's the reason I'm always using, obviously in the Netflix episode, we had way more water tasted. We had actually five or six waters and just three, I think, was been shown. shown. So we all know it's, it's been angled dumb. Therefore, I need to showcase to people right away, oh my God, that tastes crazy. The same pretty much what Michael in Texas is doing, what he said, I want to bring stuff to, to the table what people don't expect. Um, that is pretty much what I'm doing in the media. So I'm bringing waters over there where they think that is completely crazy, Martin. I never, ever thought about it, that a water can have a TDS of 7,400 like Roy. I have here water from Romania with 28,000 TDS. That's disgusting to drink. Huh? You don't want to drink that. <laughs> it's just like, it's not tasty at all. I was in, in Germany last year uh, in a spa town where they had, fascinating for me, a whole room with just different taps and the different taps were the different spring sources of this natural occurring source. And they had like big stories about it, about how much water you should drink from that spring on a daily basis that has actually an impact on your body fascinating stuff there's a video out there i'm trying on my social media i'm trying one of these waters i had to spit it out because it was so high in iron i thought i had blood in my mouth it was disgusting and then it said please drink two liters on a daily basis of that it's like i could never do this i could not even swallow one so but that is like the whole point why i'm always thinking it's funny and hilarious that people are still saying on this planet but water has no taste. <laughs> it's like it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. To to get to get back to your point, uh, Michael, how important that actually is to bring back or to bring actually terms and and wordings to describe a water. So it really it really triggers me, and I really want that we are like continuing this, that we are continuing this further. Offside of like uh, of this podcast because I'm really interested in this and I think there is something what we clearly have together that we can bring even more attention to the consumer and you're absolutely right and I said it earlier as well how important that is because when you have the knowledge you have the power because when I suddenly know how to describe a water and I have the right terms for it I can be actually the person who says hey listen this is Kiki or something else. So I, I really, I really like that. I really think it's, I really think it's fascinating. Michael and Texas, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I agree. Words are really important. We need to find the words, and we, we both, and you know, Michael in, in London, we we're struggling to find the words to to describe this. I would just like to frame. Let's look. Where do these words need to fit into? And we know the waters we are selling, they can be used for hydration, but they are not meant for hydration. They're meant to have an experience to be enjoyed. And what is the context? Where do you enjoy those waters? You enjoy it sitting down on a table. So I think the words that we are looking for need to be epicurean. They need to be organic and they need to be poetic. I think, in my opinion, that's really, really important because we're already struggling with words that are not. And <clears throat> we're describing acidity. Do you really want to sit on a table, eat a nice steak, and someone tells you this is a water that has a very high acidity? 
it doesn't sound right. And then you use words like pH. Even the word minerality also implies already a little bit of a technical component. So I would be in big favor of finding new words. I don't think the word should be binary, left or right. The words need to have a very high resolution and they need to have a very high sampling rate so we can really accommodate an organic entity and not making it an organic entity, which is very complex, open-ended, into a digital realm where you have left or right. I don't think left and right will work. I think very high sample rate, very high resolution in, in, in the words. And my biggest thing is the words need to fit onto the table because a sommelier works on the table. This is where people experience the water. And I think that's going to be important for me. But I agree. Finding more words moving forward then would also be um, one of my priorities. Well, uh, give me six months and let me tap into the academic uh, side of it. I think it needs to be a psychological-based language. I'm going to start from the root of Bubakiki and see if we can explore outwards from there and find related terminology. I think my, my, I think the beauty of the Bubakiki concept is that there's a shape associated with the sounds and then us as water, aqua, sommelier mineralogist you know we can um we can rec uh, re we can associate those shapes and those sounds with the experience on the palate and then we can extrapolate that later people that's because it possesses these minerals yeah and once you know it possesses these minerals that's it the cat's out the bag you know now you know minerals do a job and that's really what we want people to know minerals do a job and they do a job on your palate, and you can recognize it. That's the secret to it, and that's as, about as simple as it gets. And then when people then say, wow, okay, so mineral waters, I mean, okay, look, you say um, an experience. I have a slightly phased view on that. I think that the, uh, the ideal scenario is if an individual was to have a, a range of waters available to them, which they can get from Aquamore or any other local variety of water supplier. But I would say to people, I'd love to create a, a mixed case or recommendation where I'd say, have one glass a day of Vitel, have one glass a day of Vichy Catalan, have one glass a day of something else, and then that's your calcium requirements, your magnesium requirements, your um, bicarbonate requirements, your silica requirements. And you know, just by having a glass of each of these three or four different waters a day, will give your body the minerals it requires. And guess what? The minerals in water are the most bioavailable of any foodstuff. That's a fact. Therefore, that's the value of mineral waters, and that's how you can see the benefits. Uh, a nice one, for example, is silica. Silica is the only thing known to flush aluminium toxicity from the body. And aluminium toxicity is something that they associate with uh, uh, Asperger's, Alzheimer's, and you need 30 milligrams a day, which you can get from a litre of Volvic or a half a litre of Fiji, you see? So have half a litre of Fiji a day, which is two glasses. Have uh, a glass of Vitella a day or two, something like this, and then you have a, a reason for to, to consume mineral waters and guess what they're pleasurable and they're natural so i think that's really my you, you're talking about just epicurean and i'm talking about actually they're a way of accessing minerals in a very 
effective, efficient, and pleasurable way? No, it comes to a function ward at that moment. And I think that is, uh, that is a very interesting concept. And this is, I think, what, what we went through to at least the, la the latest Netflix series, that we introduced the concept of, hey, by the way, new water can actually help you. And that is the takeaway of this, because I see it on my social media channels, because that is like the biggest takeaway what people had is, oh my God, I can actually drink water and replenish suddenly something what I think I need to go to, to the pharmacy for and buy it in little pills. Yeah. So that concept was for, for a lot of American viewers mind-blowing, like literally mind-blowing because I see it on my social media all the time now because they're all texting me and sending me notes and saying, Martin, I cannot believe this. I have the first people who drink, you know, since a week mineral water instead of purified. And they're already saying to me, Martin, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's placebo. I don't know. But I just feel more empowered. I feel more dynamic. I feel way better in my behavior. I have way more energy suddenly in my body than I used to have. So it's quite fascinating to see. And it's great, obviously, to see this. And, the, and, my, and again, I'm always saying this. For me, my position is to promote Mother Nature. I don't promote anything else. Uh, I just to promote a product, what Mother Nature created. Yes, we have to put it in a bottle because we don't just don't have access to it. It's just not that easy to drink water like this from a fountain and you don't even know what's in the water in the fountain. So obviously we have to bottle it to gain, gain access to it. But let's go back to the whole water bottle industry. It started actually as medication. Uh, so like this whole idea of, yeah, we are bottling a product we're sending it over to sick people because there are tons of minerals dissolved. That was actually the concept of bottled water. Hydration was beer, in Germany at least. I'm still thinking it's a great, it's a thrill, sturdy concept. <laughs> but also in the UK, you used to have small beer. Small beer was what um, everyone used to drink, even children, which was a brewed version because there wasn't access to clean and safe water in a lot of places, especially urban environments. So people used to drink small beer, which was around 2% ABV. Um, so absolutely, you're right. And when Michael uh, Masher organized a fine water summit in uh, Vidago in Portugal, which was the um, holiday home of the Spanish monarchs, and they also bottle of water from a naturally carbonated one called Vidago, he organized a trip to Pedras Salgadas, uh, which is all Pedras Salgadas, which is the Portuguese, you know, it's very famous water. It's like the Portuguese Vichy Catalan, except it's got very little bubbles. And there they showed us the history of the green bottle associated with um, sparkling was that they used to have it on the apothecary's shelves to hide the uh, iron content, which was yellow. And so that's, it used to be in brown bottles. And then they figured out how to filter out the iron. And then that brown bottle evolved into a green bottle and hence nowadays you have san pellegrino perrier etc in green bottles and the same with vichy catalan you know uh, 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 the 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 doctor who found vichy catalan he found a source in catalonia and renamed it after the famous source in france a town in france where people used to go for wellness and in germany a mineral water wasn't recognized as a mineral water unless it contained over a thousand milligrams per liter other than that, it wasn't a mineral water, sorry, you know, until the EU formed and then they had this. Um, so, so, you know, absolutely, there's this association of, um, 
of water and minerals, you know, which we've got to 